Hey friends, welcome to the season two finale of the Retro Game Guys podcast. I'm your host, Dustin, and I'm joined by my three good friends, the retro gaming guru, Zach. Celebrate good times, come on! All right, I feel like I'm in an A's game. It's a punch? Uh, <laughs> or a wedding. Well, there you go. Uh, the obsessive collector, JP. Hey, hey, collect them all. All right, and the infrequent gamer, Alex. That's me. Well, it's great to see you guys. Well, in addition to this being our season two finale, we are also celebrating a couple of other milestones today. The release day for this episode, July 29th, 2020, marks the second anniversary of the podcast. It, wow. was two, it was two years ago to the date that we all got together for the first time to give this whole podcasting thing a go. It was like 20 years. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Two years too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't know what we were doing at the time, and, and really, we still don't, actually. But uh, it's kind of crazy that we just got started and never looked back. Now, coming up on almost 50 episodes, I think, total. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good stuff. So in addition to the podcast milestones, we are also raising a glass to 35 years of Super Mario Brothers, a game that many people call the greatest platformer of all time. Well, before we get rolling on this month's game, Zach, you have a few updates, right? That is right. And uh, boy, am I excited to share today. Well, as Dustin said, this episode is going to be a celebration. And because it's a celebration, we worked really hard to make this our biggest episode ever. That's right. It's going to be bigger than our Mario Brothers episode, bigger than our Tech Mobile tournament, no, hashtag there you Chicago, go. <laughs> uh, bigger, <Illusions>. than our, <laughs> bigger than our first anniversary Street Fighter 2 show. And yes, even bigger than when Dustin gushed over Impossible Mission <laughs> on the Atari 7800. <laughs> Actually, it's a pretty low bar there. Hey, hey, that game is a national treasure. Have you ever before experienced such lovely somersaults? I think not. What nation is that a treasure of? (laughs) All right, all right, all right. Moving on, moving on. Yeah, yeah, let's get to the details here. Well, today's episode is going to be part one of a two-part Super Mario Brothers Super Celebration. And on top of that, to wrap up our season, we're going to be featuring an hour-long interview with a very special guest. And uh, our guest's identity has been a closely guarded secret it was so secret that we had to keep the interview locked away in JP's game vault. So we uh, put it right behind all his sealed boxed games. And, <laughs> and his Furbies. And his Furbies. <laughs> That's right. Way back, way back in, in, the, in the dresser drawer behind the underwear. Right? <laughs> his underwear collection? That's right. <laughs> uh, now we did tease the guest on our socials. And I got to say, I'm pretty shocked that uh, our listeners did not correctly guess our guest especially considering these extremely well thought out guesses like, is it Sean Connery? <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. Is Gosh, it yeah. Sinbad? <laughs> Sinbad? Yeah. I, who, I have no who, somebody remember Sinbad. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We also got uh, Joe Satriani. Um, <laughs> nice. And uh, the ghost. Uh, not Ingve Melmstein? Okay. No, not Ingve <laughs> Melmstein. No. Um, and uh, we also got the ghost of Dennis Hopper. So. Right. Um, okay. Those aren't Rip correct. Dennis Hopper. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, So our real guest is best known for being Nintendo of America's spokesperson during the golden age of the NES. And during his 10 years at the company, he played many roles, including warehouse manager, where he shipped Donkey Kong arcade cabinets across the country. Mm -hmm. He handpicked the launch titles for the NES, and he was the editor-in-chief of Nintendo Power Magazine. He also played a big role in the success of Super Mario Brothers. And do you have any idea who I'm talking about yet? Is it Dolly Parton this time? Uh, no. Yes. Please let it be Dolly Parton. <laughs> Every, my guess is always going to be Dolly Parton. It, it is not Dolly Parton. All right. But here's a, but here's a clue. That should have been an in-person interview. <laughs> <laughs> Can't. COVID. Anyway, mm. the, the person who I'm talking about here looks great in a bow tie. That's right. We talked to the game master himself, Howard Phillips. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, that uh, that was another David Crane-like moment when I got the email that he agreed to the podcast. <laughs> I was, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> we got him, we got him. So we added clips from our Howard interview throughout this episode, but you're definitely going to want to hear the full interview as well. Howard talks about his early days at Nintendo of America. He shares details of when he almost worked for Sega. Can mm-hmm. you believe that? Um, And he also surprised the hell out of us by saying that a certain classic Nintendo game, a big, big title, quote, sucked. (laughs) And you're also going to hear about uh, what he's up to nowadays. He's working on something new. So yeah, um, yeah, not only that, but we got him in the hot seat. Yeah, we did. We did. We cranked it extra hot for Howard. We got that 
bow ties smoking. <laughs> Any new uh, Howard and Nestor uh, comics coming out? Oh, we do talk about fan. the comic in the interview. We do really? talk about yeah. it. But who knows, right? Who knows what? You'll have to listen to the interview and see what wow. he's got cooking. Yeah. I'm impressed, man. This is a big get for you guys. Yeah. Right? I, I, I can't believe that we got Howard on the show. I mean, when we first started this podcast, I created a little list of like my dream interview list and, and he was right at the top. So yeah, I guess we can quit wow. now. I guess this is it. Season <laughs> two finale. It. Nope. Nope. Game guys finale. <laughs> no, <laughs> not it. This is all Dustin has going on in his life, so we can't stop. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, lastly for me, I wanted to give a shout out to our friends at Basic Gamer Bob and Aaron C., uh, they're both caught up on all the episodes, so welcome to the current club, gentlemen. And uh, speaking of Bob, he sent me one of his custom Alex Kid controller cables. Oh, that's cool. You know, yeah, the yeah. ones we talked about that fixed that wacky Alex Kid button layout. They Plays, made it normal. Yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, yeah, made it normal. Plays so much better now. I was NES jumping. household. Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I'm an NES household, right? It's like the way it's supposed to be. I was jumping and throwing my enormous fist around like a champ. It was great. Right, well, those are my updates. Uh, uh, before we move on to my updates, quick confession. Uh, Basic Gamer Bob, Aaron C., and the rest of the current club actually have something on me. For the first time, I have n not actually listened to an episode after we recorded it. What? Every other episode I've listened to at least twice. But with the madness of the times and everything going on, I've yet to hear our Burger Time episodes. So nah. I guess since, in a way, some listeners have already hashtag beaten a retro game guy. <laughs> there you were there. All right, I was there for the, I was in the room yeah. where it happened. You don't need to prove it to anybody. Right? <laughs> I, but I, de I definitely want to pick up the burger time. So that was a fun little, fun little one. Yeah, Dustin, right. you should check out uh, the retro game guys podcast. They have some great <laughs> yeah. episodes. Where can I find that? Is it available yeah. on uh, maybe Instagram on or Twitter? Yeah. On all yeah. the, on all the uh, podcast sites. All right. Yeah. Well, as uh, Zach said, this is definitely our biggest show ever until we, you know, cover impossible mission two. Um, uh. <laughs> so for my update, I wanted to do a season two recap. This was a big year for us, which saw us record from new venues, hear from new voices, and play on new systems. Mm -hmm. All told, there were 13 main episodes. We started off the season with Rygar on the NES, where we talked about the Rygar versus Ligar rivalry, the door to peace, and <laughs> enemies named Pragokelis. Pragokelis. Yeah, that game is still <laughs> one of my favorites on the NES. And now you can play it on the Switch Online, which is awesome. Everyone needs to try that out. Totally cool, yeah. For episode two, we let the listeners decide, and they picked the Genesis version of Strider. That game's graphics blew all of our minds. Ching, 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 ching. Uh, Great game. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. I still one of my proudest gaming accomplishments. That game was damn hard, It's man. really hard, yeah. Uh, in episode three, Zach and I covered Splatterhouse, our first turbo graphics game. The episode features a special intro from John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. Uh, he has a fun yeah. tie-in to a huge video game franchise that we talk about in the episode. Yeah. Uh, it also featured our first call-in from a retro game guy. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> Alex had to call into that one? I was sick yeah. as a dog. <laughs> oh, my God. I we, had, got, uh, we dropped you in. Oh, I think I had a couple shots of uh, NyQuil in me at that point. Well, yeah, there was, was a, there was some editing that Zach had to do after that as well. Yeah. There was there was some like uh, just nonsense stuff going on. I'm like, hey, what is he saying? I don't even I can't even understand what he's saying. Oh man, yeah, I had this whole thing in my head. It sounded a lot cooler than it was, and then you couldn't even hear me because my I was all stuffed up and just like it was pre-COVID. Thank God. So yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, but but it is a good episode nonetheless. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which I'm I kind of bummed I wasn't there. It was Halloween. We would have been able to dress up. But I mean, it was, dude, looking back on it, that's, who knows when we're going to have another Halloween episode like that, right? Right. So, yeah. yeah. Listen, guys. All right. Yeah. So, uh, next episode, episode four, we covered the arcade classic Donkey Kong. And, uh, yeah, that's the game where I forgot that you could jump. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad, though, that we did our Donkey Kong episode, uh, all two hours plus of it, because it really... <laughs> It really does feel like the prequel for this episode. Totally. Right. right. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. For episode five, we had our first live podcast at the AFK XP Tech and Game Center in Campbell, California. That was the Contra episode where Zach scored a bazillion points and schooled <laughs> us all in front of a live studio audience. That's right. That's right. That was a fun <laughs> one, man. Yeah, it totally was fun. Halfway through our season, we played SimCity for the Super Nintendo, which has since become our most popular episode of all time. I think wow. it was because of the neck and neck score battle. <laughs> yeah, so close, Dustin, yet so far away. I that learned was of, his. That was his his game. I learned a valuable lesson that day. 
Yeah, and then, right. which I did not repeat for Super Mario Brothers. We'll talk about that later. Right. Uh, uh, in episode seven, we had another live show, but this one for Genesis flagship Sonic the Hedgehog. And as part of that, we also held a private screening of the Sonic movie, which, yes. although I wasn't a huge fan of the movie, it was a totally awesome event that we did. Yes. Uh, we met a lot of new friends. Yeah, it was, was fun. Cool. Yeah, it was totally fun. I still have my commemorative Sonic cup. From, <laughs> there, from you that night. there you one go. One more thing, too, on that one, a little behind the curtain here. I think that was an episode where I almost forgot to push the record button. <laughs> nice. And like at the last second, right before we, you know, before we heard, hey, friends, I just thought, oh, did I did I hit record? And man, we almost did the whole thing and it had nothing to show for it. That would have been bad. Nothing actually in the can. Yeah. All right. Well, the next episode, episode eight, we covered Donkey Kong Country for the SNES and uh, talked a lot about VHS tapes and exposure. <laughs> Uh, episode nine, we moved our podcast online due to COVID and we did Wizards and Warriors for the NES, which uh, quickly became my new favorite game for uh, reasons oh that we talked God. about a few times on the pod. Get over it. <laughs> Get over it. Oh, those are so much fun. Oh. Yeah, you, you didn't forget to jump in that game because that's like all you do. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, in episode 10, we played a game that was decidedly not my favorite, uh, Super Monaco GP for the Genesis. Uh, but we learned that Zero Force knows how to party, so that's cool. That's, that's right. right. We talked about Madonna, too. Yeah, we talked a drink. lot about Madonna. <laughs> in, uh, in episode 11, we had our first hashtag Beat Retro Game Guys score competition for NES's Life Force. And we learned not to mess with Blake or Sore Thumb Collector who beat the pants off of us. Mm. Indeed. (laughs) In the season's penultimate, episode 12, we were joined by former Sega game counselor and our friend, Sega Master Tim. And Tim had a lot to say about Alex Kidd in Miracle World, didn't he? Totally. (laughs) And then, of course, there's today's season finale, which will hopefully hold up to those previous episodes. Uh, Also, a quick mention of our dozen or so quick play episodes, the latest of which was on Burger Time, as I mentioned earlier, for the NES. You still haven't heard, but that's okay. (laughs) That's right. Soon. There was uh, also a great Q&A episode where we answered some pretty interesting questions from our listeners. Yeah, we also did those uh, Q&A episodes with the individual retro game guys. So that's uh, a recommended listening for anyone who wants to get to know us a bit more. And and, uh, who wouldn't, right? (laughs) Right. So that was our season two. I want to say thank you to all of our listeners, families, and friends. Without you, there would be no Retro Game Guys podcast or season two. And because of your love and support, you can bet that we'll be back for a season three. Oh, we got renewed. Yeah, yeah that's right. Fantastic. <laughs> totally. Wow, it's awesome. Thanks, guys. Great. <laughs> All right. Wait, wait that, does that mean we, uh, did we get a pay raise here? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. A million percent more money. Yeah. Uh, now let's get into the show. For this episode, we're covering the legendary action platformer Super Mario Brothers for the Nintendo Entertainment System. If you'd like to give Super Mario Brothers a play before listening to the rest of this episode, here are our recommended options. There's a version on the Nintendo Switch Online subscription service. Uh, You can get Super Mario All-Stars on the SNES or Wii, which comes with four updated Super Mario Brothers games. Also on the Switch is a special arcade version of the game called Versus Super Mario Brothers. Uh, It's got a little added challenge, as all those (laughs) Versus games do. Uh, There are also versions of Super Mario Brothers on the Wii U and the 3DS. And of course, there's the original NES cart, which obviously provides the most historically accurate gaming experience. You know, I thought of a couple other versions that I, I used to play a lot. I don't know if you guys had these, but um, I had the Super Mario Brothers Classic Series on my Game Boy SP. I don't know if you had that one, uh, JP, but it, it was basically a direct port uh, of the NES game. Um, and then I had the Super Mario Brothers Deluxe game on the Game Boy Color, which added like level-specific challenges and unlockables. Those are really cool uh, games to check out if you got those older portable systems. Huh. Okay, interesting. Well, as Zach said earlier, Super Mario Brothers is supersized in its importance to video game history, so it seems only fitting that this episode of the Retro Game Guys podcast will be a two-parter. In part one, Zach will walk us through the history and interesting facts about Super Mario Brothers. Along the way, we'll hear parts of our interview with the Game Master Howard Phillips, giving us his unique view on the game's history as someone who was a major part of Nintendo of America during the launch. Part two will focus on what Super Mario Brothers means to everybody, We'll hear about memories of the game from the Retro Game Guys, our listeners, and from Mr. Phillips. We'll chat about our experiences replaying the game, and the guys and I will see if we can survive our hashtag beat Retro Game Guys score competition. <laughs> yeah. Right. We'll learn a little bit about crazy Super Mario Brothers collectibles, and we'll also hold our Retro Game Giveaway, where one of our listeners will win an original copy of Super Mario Brothers. 
And make sure you follow at Retro Game Guys on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Before each episode, we collect your gaming memories and share them on the podcast. You could also win retro games and take part in our score competitions. So uh, give us a follow. Now to kick off part one of this episode, here's Zach to give us a bit of the background history and interesting facts about Super Mario Brothers. All right, let's go. <laughs> All right. It's yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, yeah. Super Mario Brothers is a side-scrolling action platformer released by Nintendo, first for its Japanese Famicom system in 1983, and then for the North American NES in 1985. And our European friends would see the game a couple of years later in 1987. Because the retro game guys all grew up with the North America version, this is the version that we're going to be focusing on today. Mm-hmm. Now, Super Mario Brothers was the first system pack-in game for the NES, and it was joined by 16 other launch titles, games like Duck Hunt, Excite Bike, Kung Fu, and Gyromite. And it was early... <laughs> not a fan of Gyromite, are you? <laughs> and it was uh, early Nintendo of America employee Howard Phillips, who was responsible for suggesting the launch games for the NES. Wow. So in, our, in our interview with Howard, we had a chance to ask him about his involvement in the NES launch. Take a listen. Well, a few years after you joined Nintendo of America, the NES started rolling out in the U.S. Now, the NES is my favorite game system of all time, so I'm dying to ask you about the launch. So what sure. was it like being a part of that launch? I understand it's a pretty grueling schedule for you, and you also had the distinction, I understand, of picking the launch games for that new system. No, no pressure, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so before we launched it, we obviously got the Famicom system at the warehouse. And I opened, you know, a box showed up without any warning. And I opened the box from Japan with, with a bunch of other stuff. And I opened it up and there was the Famicom. And so I opened that up, plugged it in and started playing it and said, this is awesome because um, it had a really good um, port of Donkey Kong on it. I mean, at that time, Ports. I mean, you get you get crappy ports, like the kind of thing you'd see on a seventy-eight <laughs> hundred. <laughs> Howard's digging in on me there. Thank you. <laughs> but really, no. There was a huge difference between what you could get in a, a home console versus what you were playing in the arcade. Things have really changed, especially over the last, say, five, ten years. But back then, there was a huge difference. And so when this, you know, in this box, I open it up and there's this white maroon wonky looking little toy machine. I plug it in and the game on the television is like, looks almost exactly like the arcade game. It was just a wow moment. So anyway, fast forward, we get a couple games a month would come out from um, Nintendo Japan. They just send more games and, you know, more game and watches, which were the little handhelds they did. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and more of the Famicom games would show up. And I would, of course, play them in my spare time because I worked at a small games company. So when I wasn't loading trucks or recording serial numbers or counting inventory um, or going out to the, to the route to check the earnings on a, on a game, I'd be playing whatever the, the arcade games were that we were uh, assembling in the warehouse, or I'd be uh, um, checking out the new games that had showed up from Nintendo. And so I ended up with about, um, by middle of 85, I ended up with about, uh, I think, 40, 45 games, something like that from Japan. Mm. And a number of them were kind of goofy games that were very, um, very, very childish and young and, and simplistic. And mm. by then the arcades were getting more sophisticated, were getting awesome games like Robotron and 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 Zaxxon and 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 all sorts of really great games yeah. and so to get these kind of goofy little games they weren't <laughs> they weren't so exciting but that said there was also some awesome new games were coming online um the sports games that were coming out of Nintendo for Famicom were better than any of the sports games that you could ever play on a like an Atari um mm-hmm. I mean really the the you know the the baseball game was awesome. The tennis mm-hmm. game was awesome. You know, you'd have this really, we, in the warehouse, have heated matches playing and stuff. Um, so anyway, I sat there. I had this box of games, and Mr. Ar- and I'd been pleading with Arakawa for years to, we got to do this. we got to release this system. It's so good. And I was very naive at the time. I really didn't understand the, you know, the market forces and that it was <laughs> that so many people had lost their jobs or near lost their jobs because they'd over-ordered on uh, crappy games from the Atari 2600 um, mm-hmm. in, in 83. So I didn't, have, I didn't know any of that. All I knew it was a great game system. I liked playing a bunch of the games, not the cute ones so much. 
And so Arakawa said, so, so we, if we launch this game, which game should we do it? And I said, well, how many games? And he said, you know, fifth, I don't know, a dozen, 15. I said, okay. And I looked at all the games and I just played them really quick and um, each of them really quick just to refresh my memory and, you know, put a list down. And, and that ended up being the launch list for the games for, um, for the NES. How cool is that? Holy That's... smokes. Are you kidding <laughs> me, cool. dude? Wow. Like, yeah. like that's my, that, uh, for our listeners, that's the first time I heard that interview. I wanted to come into this podcast fresh. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you, JP, but that sort of blows my mind a little bit. Like, the warehouse guy? <laughs> the warehouse guy who opened the package and started yeah. playing the games? Like, like, the Fred Savage started to, you know, Wrote down. I I love it because it's a total fan thing to do. He was he was a total fan. He was just a kid. Yeah, and you know they were like uh, it was like free user testing right there, right? Yeah. So wow, I'm blown away by that. Yeah, Crazy. and he talks in, he talks in the episode of, or in the interview about how small the operation uh, at Nintendo of America was at the time, and and you, you know, and when you listen to the full interview, you can get that sense that it really was kind of a everybody pitches in, everybody's helping out kind of kind of place. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. I remember being a kid and having the like the poster of all the you know the the NES games, like the the launch NES games on my wall, and to think that he just was the one that said, "Yep, it's these 15. That's that's so cool. <laughs> it is totally. Cool. I'll play these real quick. Hold on, give yep. me give me five minutes. I'll write down a list for you. And this is what Nintendo of America should release. Yeah, they right. became sort of so the say kind of all. Fa- the foundation of like the rest of their you know amazing launch. Well, he did good. I mean, there was only maybe a couple. Oh. Sneakers in couple, there, yeah. you know, but for the most part, those are awesome, all awesome games. So yeah. he might as well have wrote these down on a stone tablet, right? <laughs> yeah. to these guys. There you go. There you Amazing. go. Silly. All right, we'll get back to the history of Super Mario Brothers. Uh, the game was designed by Shigeru Miyamoto. Mm-hmm. We've talked about maybe I don't know once or twice on this podcast, eh, maybe. Yeah, and uh, Takashi Tezuka. Now he would uh, work alongside Mr. Miyamoto on Nintendo's biggest hits, including Legend of Zelda. Super Mario Brothers 3, and uh, he also produced Animal Crossing on the GameCube, which Ooh. everyone needs to play, yeah. yeah I, I don't see us getting the GameCube era anytime soon, but if we did, I'd push hard to do Animal Crossing. Because oh, yeah. the current one, oh man, what a time suck. I, yeah. I've, I've got a few hundred hours in it already. <laughs> You'd really enjoy that one, I think. You'd really well, I'll check it. it out, I'll check it out. All right, well, now some people think that Super Mario Brothers is the first Mario game, and that is understandable given the fact that Super Mario Brothers was super popular. Um, but it was actually Donkey Kong that was the first game that featured Mario. And the arcade classic Mario Brothers was the first game that carried the Mario title. Mm-hmm. Now, Mario Brothers was also the game when uh, Mario changed professions from a carpenter to a plumber, if you're wondering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you want to hear more about Mario Brothers, check out our very first podcast episode in the archives. You may have to dust it off a bit. Well, uh, how do you blow into a podcast? Uh, yeah. n- never mind. Alex, don't answer that. <laughs> yeah, oh. exactly. Uh, now, most of our listeners should recognize uh, the story of Super Mario Brothers. It's pretty much, you know, defeat Bowser and save the princess. But let me read from the original Super Mario Brothers manual. It says, one day the kingdom of the peaceful Mushroom Kingdom people was invaded by the Koopa, a tribe of turtles famous for their black magic. The quiet, peace-loving mushroom people were turned into mere stones, bricks, and even field horsehair plants. Mm -hmm. And the mushroom kingdom (laughs) fell into ruin. The only one who can undo the magic spell on the mushroom people and return them to their normal selves is the princess Toadstool, the daughter of the mushroom king. Unfortunately, she is presently in the hands of the great Koopa Turtle King. And got the names of the enemies and, and heroes kind of down yet. You notice that? They're a little mm-hmm. bit different. Yeah. Uh, Mario, the hero of the story, maybe, it's in parentheses, hears about the mushroom people's plight and sets out on a quest to free the mushroom princess from the evil Koopa and restore the fallen kingdom of the mushroom people. You are Mario. It's up to you to save the mushroom people, if they haven't you know, said that already, uh, from the black magic of the Koopa. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it wasn't didn't quite flow, did it? No, it's yeah. a, kind of an odd. I think I'd understand why they might have dropped some of that storyline. Yeah, was, and, and uh, they had the Koopas have black magic. I had never right. heard that before. It's kind of strange. <laughs> yeah, why are the? Why, I've never, I, even till this day, I don't think I've ever seen a comic or a cartoon where the turtles there are evil turtles, right? <laughs> they look so friendly, that. don't they? Yeah. yeah. 
Well, they work for Koopa, King Koopa, so they, they have to be evil, but yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe they're like stormtroopers where like, you know, some of them like, you know, want to revolt and stuff, but you know, they can't, they can't get anything <laughs> Well, now started. I feel kind of bad breaking all those bricks in the game. These are probably, um, they're black <laughs> yeah, magic they're prisoners. <laughs> no, no. Oh, no. Mario's a murderer. The mushroom yeah. people. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, let's, let's return everyone back to the original form. Oh, where are all the people? <laughs> there are body parts around here. They were bricks. But <laughs> I, I got my one up. That's what counts. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh, I uh, broke all those bricks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those my people. All right. Well, in order for Mario to rescue the princess, he must complete eight worlds with four stages in each. Each world ends with a trip to King Koopa's castle and a fight to the death with Bowser on a bridge that hangs over lava. Now, each Bowser before level eight is actually a lesser enemy in disguise. Did you guys know about that one? Mm-mm. Yeah. What? So, yeah, you can see that if you kill Bowser with fireballs. Before Bowser dies, he turns into like one of the regular enemies, like a, a Goomba or a, a, a Koopa, and then falls into the lava. Um, now, if you finish World 1 through 7, you'll be greeted by Toad, who fans of the Mario series will recognize. Toad says, famously, thank you, Mario, but our princess is in another castle, which uh, I think that was like one of the very first video game memes. It's like, <laughs> like, thanks for nothing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> After the seventh time, you think Mario would be like, okay, yeah, is a never, joke here? I give up. Yeah. <laughs> you do this yourself. Yeah, you're just like waiting there, just like, mm-hmm, you know. Well, good for him for uh, <laughs> not succumbing to the black magic, the turtle black magic. That's right. Yeah, yeah. how did he survive? I yeah. don't know. He pays he's not a mushroom, off. he's a toad. Maybe. He's an inside <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> it was toad all along. That's right. All right, well, the theme and gameplay of Super Mario Brothers set the standard for platforming games in the 80s, as we talked about in our Alex Kidd episode. But Super Mario Brothers gameplay wasn't created overnight. Rather, it was the result of fine-tuning that happened across early Mario games. For example, Shigeru Miyamoto had said that he thought Mario's jumps were too restrictive in Donkey Kong. And mm. so you guys probably remember if you fall farther than the height of your player, you'll die, which is really frustrating. So Mr. Miyamoto would soon loosen those restrictions a bit when Mario Brothers came out in the arcades. But even with Mario Brothers, the game just took place on one stationary screen and there wasn't like much variety going on. Now with the move to Super Mario Brothers, Miyamoto and Tezuka introduced a game play style that was designed for home consoles in mind. It opened up players to a you know, scrolling, expansive world that can be explored at the gamer's own pace. I mean, we well, still had a timer, so like, you know, but for the most part, you can wander right, around. Right. You can jump from even higher than ever before. It just felt really good. Um, in Super Mario Brothers, Mario or Luigi in a two-player game can run, jump, swim, collect coins, break bricks. Sorry, everybody. Uh, sorry, <laughs> mushroom people. Uh, Ripped grab, mushroom people. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Grab special <laughs> items, go down pipes. He can climb vines and slide down flagpoles at the end of each level. Those actions should sound familiar even to our younger listeners who may, who may have only played newer Mario games. Because so much of what makes a modern Mario game, a Mario game, all started here. Mm -hmm. Now, Super Mario Brothers also established very memorable enemies. There's Goombas, Koopa Troopas, the turtle guys, uh, Hammer Brothers, Bullet Bills, Cheep Cheeps, who are the fish, and of course, Bowser or King Koopa. Now, these characters have stood the test of time and appear in Mario games to this day. You probably have used one in Mario Kart, for example. Um, And not only was Mario a man of action, but the super accurate controls and balanced challenge ensured that players of all ages got something out of the game. And that accessibility is something that was missing from some of the previous platformers that we played on this podcast. I'm looking at you, Alex Kidd. That would, remember <laughs> how that one was not as accessible, not yeah. even close. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, Super Mario Brothers combined fun gameplay, interesting characters, and a colorful world, and the result was just magical. As a result, Super Mario Brothers became the killer app for the NES, and collectively blew the minds of players worldwide. Yeah. Certainly did mine. Uh, Super Mario Brothers also had kept players coming back to unlock its secrets. In those pre-internet days that you guys remember, mm-hmm. um, us kids, they, we traded hints on the playgrounds, including the locations of the helpful warp zones, how to reach the Minus World, one of the most famous video game glitches of all time. And if you guys haven't reached the Minus World, you have to give that a try. You like jump through a block in stage one, two, and you can get to like a hidden... Endless water level. Yeah, I saw it for the first time. Uh, I think uh, Ben, uh, Retro Bear, then uh, mm-hmm. posted something, or one of these other guys did, and uh, blew my mind a little bit. So mm. uh, forgive me if I got the uh, Twitter guy wrong, but um, yeah, I didn't even know that existed until recently. 
So yeah, that one's it, really cool. Still learning. Yep. And in the Japanese version of Super Mario Brothers, the cartridge version, you can actually get to like minus two, minus three, minus four. Like there's all what? kinds of crazy glitches. Yeah. In that game. Yeah. There's a bunch we could talk about. And they about all look there. different? Yeah. They kind of look, well, they, they're all water levels, but they kind of look yeah. a little different. Yeah. And then there's supposedly huh. like 256 completely glitched out levels that you can get to by like turning on tennis on the NES and having that in a top loader and then pulling it out and putting Super Mario Brothers in. Like it's all kinds of weird. What? Yeah, the okay. glitches that people have found over the years. It's really, really cool. But, oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. So that was, but that was cool about it, right? It's like when you're, in, um, you're talking to your friends in school and you're sharing all these secrets, there was so much depth to this game. So awesome. Well, getting back to it, as we all know, Super Mario Brothers would be a smash hit. How big of a hit, you ask? Uh, well, from 1983 to 2010, versions of Super Mario Brothers sold 40 million copies. Nice. Insane. Wow. And as we always say, like when you think about those early days, that's a, that's an insane amount of games when the mm-hmm. industry was just really, you know, growing still. Now, shortly after the success of Super Mario Brothers in the 80s, Nintendo would license Mario toys, dolls, clothes, and push the merchandise in issues of Nintendo Power. Nintendo also offered a comprehensive 112-page tip book called How to Win at Super Mario Brothers, which fe- featured an endorsement from Howard Phillips himself right inside the guide's cover. So here's what Howard had to say about one of the earliest game guides from Nintendo. We uh, have been talking on Twitter with some of our listeners about a little guide called How to Win at Super Mario Brothers, uh, which I, I can tell you how to hand it in as well. Uh, I, I picked it up, a copy of it actually last week, and yeah, you, you flip oh, open you. the guide, and there's you right on the inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> Front cover. Um, yeah, so... I'm a super, a sort of Super Mario Brothers novice. I've played it a little bit over the time. Nowhere near as much as like Zach here. Um, but I just flipping through it and looking through some of the tips, it's, I found it super helpful. Um, so I just like kind of love to hear your ideas behind, you know, launching this guide. Because I'm a huge guides person. I use guides a lot. And it was really interesting to see like kind of an early version of that. Right. So um, understand it's a, uh, it's a group effort in yeah. the production of all of the, the, the tip books, et cetera. And um, I serve primarily as an editor mm-hmm. um, for a lot of the works. In other words, I'm a, I'm a, not a great writer, um, but, <laughs> but I know my game details and I, I, um, I know when something is right or wrong or incorrect. I, I know if it says it's, you know, three blocks over and, and it's actually two blocks or five blocks. I know that. Inf- and so um, I was very good at um, at doing a final edit pass on on things that were done, whether it was Power Magazine or whether it was the, the tip books, um, you know, and then we did the, the bigger um, strategy guides. Mm-hmm. Um, so having a, a very precise and encyclopedic knowledge of the games, because I had I played them all and beat them all, um, yeah. literally was um, was a critical component there, and so. Uh, in uh, in Japan, they would do the initial production of, of a lot of things, and then I'd step in and say, "Well, you know, this is a bigger deal. We should, you know, this is a tip that everybody needs to see." Um, that kind of that kind of editing oversight, but also work on that. You know, just go <laughs> with my finger looking at every single screenshot, and make sure that the screenshot is accurate to where it is in the game. You know, and that it's that it's not flipped. You know, it was. Weirdly enough, occasionally you'd have a screenshot that was flipped. Um, but that was my, my primary contribution to things like that book. Um, and also, I think it, it, it spoke a little bit more to the persona of the Game Master. You know, if you want to know anything about Super Mario Brothers, here's the book that's, that's written by slash endorsed by um, the Game Master, you know, Howard Phillips Game Master. When in fact I didn't write every little word to it, but I certainly um, I certainly put my signature on it because I you know spent the time to make sure it was accurate. All right, so there you go, one of the earliest game guides out there. Yeah, it's, it's pretty serious, so hundred and something pages too. That was a pretty big deal. It's a very well done book. Uh, it really did help me out in my playthrough. Um, so uh, kudos to the team behind all of that. Yeah. Awesome. President drop a uh, this is a Sega household on him. <laughs> we do talk a little bit about Sega household and, and Nintendo household in the full interview. I yeah. wonder 
I don't give too if, much away, Dustin. Don't give too much away. <laughs> but do you That's think a tease. Howard, you know, you just said that there's like 200, whatever, 56 glitches in this game. Do you think they knew about that when this game came out? Or this is the stuff that was packaged with it and they did their best with it? And this guy's, he knows his stuff. You yeah, know, I mean, we, we could have pressed him on it. We, we could have pressed him on a couple more things like that. But yeah, there's been a lot of debate about that, whether like that turtle shell trick in 3 1 was intentional or not. That that one's yeah. been confirmed. Miyamoto said, yeah, they, they knew that one and put that one in. But wow. yeah, there's still a lot of that that's up for debate. The minus world, I don't know if anyone's ever determined if that was truly, truly a glitch well, or someone did that for fun. But this game still has its mysteries, which is great. Howard Howard had his, his fingers right in that pot, man. Thank you very much, Howard, for all those tips you gave us over the years, man. Crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. indeed. Uh, well, Super Mario Brothers would also establish Mario as the most popular video game character of the era and a pop culture icon as well. In fact, in 1990, a national survey found that American children recognized Mario more than Mickey Mouse. Wow. <laughs> nice. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's like, and consider that Mario had only been in living rooms, really, with Super Mario Brothers for five years. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, and that's how popular yeah, he was. Wow. Yeah. Also that year, Super Mario Brothers would be included in the 1990 Nintendo World Championships competition. Uh, now, competitors would have to collect 50 coins as fast as they could in Super Mario Brothers before they could advance to the next round. And as we talked about before, the cartridges used for that competition are very valuable collector's items. Absolutely, and, uh, yeah. JP still won't tell us if he has one in his collection, in his vault, so. You'll never find out. <laughs> <laughs> now, Nintendo would also revisit their arcade routes by bringing Super Mario Brothers to the arcades as part of their Versus system, or as Howard called it, VS system. Mm-hmm. Now, this version of Super Mario Brothers is more difficult than the home console version. And as uh, Dustin mentioned earlier in the episode, it's av- available on the Switch, so you should give it a play. Uh, we had a chance to ask Howard about his opinion of Versus Super Mario Brothers. Here's what he had to say. You were also involved in some way with the, the challenging arcade adaptation of Super Mario Brothers called Versus Super Mario Brothers. Um, how did that all come about? Yeah, so um, quickly, <laughs> <laughs> um, that, it, you know, 85, 86 was a blur. I mean, the number of new games that we had coming on board from, Japan, from Nintendo, the number of uh, new licensees who had new games, the number of new licensees who didn't have games yet, but wanted me to look at games on other lame systems like, you know, 7,800 or something. (laughs) Then I, you know, so I'm, I'm looking at all these games all this time. And at the same time that was coming, was going on. Then we were doing, you know, get punch out, which is awesome. Twitch game, uh, arcade game. And then we got the VS system, which for at the time to me, I thought we were kind of almost done with arcades. Um, because of the um, the Famicom slash NES, and then Takeda, you know, does this this hat trick with with um, Punch Out, which was so great. And then we have VS, and I'm going, well, why do we even bother having VS? You know, it, it didn't make much sense to me. Um, games that we were seeing uh, for Famicom and NES were much more unbounded long play games, where you you bounced up against your skill level or your knowledge level of the game, you didn't bounce up against some time requirement or, t- or time limitation. And the, obviously for, for arcade games, you've got to have some time limitation that's, that's either crank down hard on the difficulty um, or, or you do something such that it really shortchange the, the players with their, um, the number of lives they can take for it, et cetera. And so I wasn't a big fan of doing BS games. I liked it. I still like the VS tennis, um, VS baseball, et cetera, because of the uh, two screens, you know, we get mm-hmm. different views, which was super cool at the time. So somebody couldn't actually see what you were seeing. Um, but when it came to, to other games, Excite Bike, Super Mario Brothers, et cetera, I, I just was not that enthusiastic about seeing them on, on VS. So I understand why we did it, but it, it, was, it, wasn't, on, it wasn't a very important thing to me. <laughs> there you go uh yeah hold hold back your thoughts there a little bit howard we're not sure what you think <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> i thought they were cool i mean it, they got my quarter back in the day which is yeah. kind of strange it's like wait a minute i can play super mario Bros. at home why am i putting a quarter in the the, the versus system and it's, i still did so i'm sure they still made money on them mm-hmm. 
But I like how he keeps digging on you for the Atari twenty eight, the Atari seventy eight hundred. Yeah, the little another behind the curtain thing we don't really we haven't really mentioned that that before with podcast we kind of had a little warm up with Howard or before the interview we had a little warm up with Howard and uh, it's, I, it came up that I had never had a, a Nintendo back in the day because we were talking we were, Zach's going to be talking about this from a big Nintendo fan. I kind of went from the Atari twenty six hundred to seventy eight hundred to the Genesis, and he just from the moment he's like. Who, who, you, who, your parents bought you a 7800? What's wrong with them? I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, just, he, he was baffled by that. Like, who and then, would own a 7800? Yeah. And then, like, at least four or five times during the interview, he would just kept turning that, just like that. You've heard it twice already, just in these segments of him just harassing me about owning a 7800. So, yeah. there you go. Yes. <laughs> Yes, we love you, Howard. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I get it, but <laughs> this is a Nintendo household. Yes, yes, right. yeah. I know this is. He's the most uh, Nintendo household of every any Nintendo household. Yeah. Right? Did he look at you sideways? Did he just like <clears throat> his head just do a one A? Like I don't doesn't compute. Yeah, like, I knew look, it was going to be a good oh interview God. when, like, like thirty seconds into talking to him, he's already giving me crap. I'm like, all right, yeah. we're going to have fun with this one. <laughs> he, he gets it. He gets it. Yeah. All right. Well, now let's uh, talk a moment about the music of Super Mario Brothers. Well, I bet everyone listening to this podcast right now can hum at least the first few seconds of the Super Mario Brothers theme. Do 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 do. Exactly. Yeah. Even me, the hashtag Genesis household. That one's stuck in my head. Yep. It's it's that big. It's that well known. <laughs> Well, if you played Super Mario Brothers growing up, the first level theme is likely burned into your brain. I didn't know this until recently, by the way, but the first level track is called Ground Theme. Okay. That's an yeah. innovative title. <laughs> Mario's running on the ground, so what do you right. want? <laughs> now, the music of Super Mario Brothers was composed by Koji Kondo. He's become quite a legendary composer over the years. Uh, his simple and catchy soundtrack was the perfect companion to the exciting gameplay. And Mr. Kondo's work on Super Mario Brothers has become timeless you can still hear versions of the Super Mario Brothers soundtrack in modern games today. Mm-hmm. Now, fun fact about Mr. Kondo, he still works at Nintendo after all these years. After wow. like 100 years, he's still hanging out. He's still- he was probably there when they were doing playing cards, too. He's, he's, like, uh, he's like Jack Torrance <laughs> in The Shining. He's never left. Right. He's, he's, he's always been there. You've always been the caretaker. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so glad that we're still blessed with uh, Koji Kondo's work. It's totally. awesome. Well, with that, let's hit pause and take a listen to arguably the most iconic video game tune of all time, courtesy of Koji Kondo. Here we go. So before we played, I said arguably the most iconic video game of all time. I don't arguably nothing. That is yeah. the most iconic video game tune of all time. When <laughs> someone says uh, video games, I think of two things. I think of this theme, and I think of the Pac-Man noise, the mm-hmm. waka 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 mm-hmm. noise yeah. that he makes. That's it. Yeah, this is just the greatest of all time. So enough said there. Yeah. Uh, now Nintendo would try to follow up the success of Super Mario Brothers uh, with the 1986 direct sequel called Super Mario Brothers 2. Oh, there's a bit uh, there you go. Uh, which first landed in Japan. Now Super Mario Brothers 2 was as much was a much more difficult version of Super Mario Brothers, and that's because director Takashi Tezuka believed that Japanese players had mastered Super Mario Brothers and that they needed an added challenge. But when Nintendo looked to bring the sequel to the U.S they did not find a fan in Howard Phillips. Ooh. Howard thought that the game was unfairly difficult and it did not support the game, and he did not support the game coming to the US. And Nintendo would ultimately bring over a different Japanese game, one called Doki Doki Panic, and they would skin it as the US Super Mario Brothers 2. It's a really famous story. And we asked Howard what he had to say about that US release of Super Mario Brothers 2 and, and his part in what? that. What? 
So um, I know we probably don't have time to go into too many details here. This is a pretty big piece of, of your history, I think, here. But uh, uh, we've we've read over time that you were one of the voices that rejected the Japanese version of Super Mario Brothers 2, which yep. kind of altered the course of history uh, there for the better, I would say, of the yep. Super Mario series. So, you know, what about that decision? How 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 easy was that to to push across? Um, it, it was a it was not difficult at all. Um, hmm. I mean, for me, it was readily apparent, like after five minutes of play, that there was just numerous instances where the game, um, the design of the game violated the pact between designer and player, which is that you, you're fair and you don't cheat the player. And the way you can cheat the player is by delivering them um, um, hits or kills or deaths or decreases to health that are unpredictable. Um, you know, it's like if you, if you, what, what fun would it be to play a game where you just walk around in the dark until you get whacked <laughs> and they say, Oh, I'm not going to whack there. And then you walk a little further, you know, in the other direction until you get whacked, you go, Oh, I'm not going to whack there. And then after a while you've lost your lives and say, Oh, I'm ready to start again. You know, it was just with the poison mushrooms and with the wind and with the blase levels, the levels didn't look anything radically different from what we've seen in Super Mario it was just a lame um, a sequel. And at the time, I was, um, and Miyamoto didn't have this, this aura that he does today of being this godlike um, designer. I mean, he's, he is a blazingly wonderful designer, and I've had a lot of fun with his, with his designs. Um, but at the same time, he's just a guy, and I think there was a period um, back at that time when he, was, he got spread too thin across mm-hmm. Nintendo's products. Nintendo was just like Nintendo of America was small, and I was the fifth person on the payroll when we started out. Nintendo Japan was small. He was just an, an artist doing side art, side graphic arts, and 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 control panel art for the for the arcade games. When when he came up with an idea amongst all the ideas out of uh, across all of Nintendo, he came up with the idea for Donkey Kong as a reef, as a retrofit for for Radar Scope. And so he got anointed to be the kind of fast promoted designer. And there weren't any other designers around. You know, Yokoi could, was a good toy designer and Weimura was good at his tech and Takeda was good at his tech. But there, you know, game designer was not something that, um, that was known at Nintendo. And he just, he just stepped up and started digging in and he did, he did Donkey Kong, he did Mario Brothers. And then, you know, when he did, um, he was working on games like Zelda, which were taking a lot of his his head and heart. And so I think Dunk, uh, Mario Brothers was, or excuse me, uh, Super Mario Brothers, the original one, was just uh, something that um, didn't get the the love and attention that we um, we know Miyamoto's capable of. And for that reason, it was really simple to just say no. What? Is that crazy? What? It was real simple to say no to, like, God, right? <laughs> yeah, like you said, he didn't have the mis- that mystique at the time, and really, no, Howard was just like, "Hey, I, I know this market, and this isn't cool, man." And I love the line he says where it violated the pact between designer and line. player. That's a fantastic line. I loved it, and 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 he he like was fighting for the for the players, like you know, you shouldn't have any unnecessary kills. You shouldn't uh, put them in situations where they you just you just get hit points on on them and it's like dude thank you like isn't that like every game quarter of thief video game out there like we always hate that right where it's like yeah. you're put yeah, in a bad about situation that. that you just get killed and it's like oh it's the worst we well, we talked um, about that a bunch on this podcast and i know yeah. there's always people out there that say well, it doesn't matter how hard a game is that you just have to put more time in it. You know, it's like, oh, if you can't beat this, you're not good because you're not putting enough time. You're not memorizing yeah. everything. But Howard disagrees with that. And I disagree with that. There is, I think, an art to creating a fair game. And, right. and, and you can't argue with the success of Super Mario Brothers that, yeah. that took that approach. There, there, there is, is a one game where we talked about that specifically where the designers made it specifically hard, right? Because they were experts and that's, that was their skill level. And yeah, a lot of them. 
Well, yeah, and so when they released it, it was just like super hard to to the players. Yeah, but there, there's a difficult, there's a difference between difficult or even extremely difficult and unfair, right? Like the yeah. game is really hard, but you know what you you it, it's it's those games we've talked about where it's like I know it's because I'm not as good at this kind of game. I don't I'm not I don't get mad at is at the games that I just that are just hard because because I'm not good at it. I get mad at the games that feel like they're not playing fair. That they're purpose, not, yeah. yeah. That they're that they're screwing around with you and trying to make it so that it's so that you'll never be able to succeed unless you know the very very specific thing that you have to do. Yeah, like, there's one way to yeah. do it, and that's it, right? Alex and you have had to be 100 perfect for five minutes straight or something. There's yeah. games like that, right? You can't make a mistake for five minutes straight, or you have to start everything all over. Like yeah. that's not fair. So, yeah. While you guys were playing that uh, clip, I for, I didn't know anything about this this story. I that's crazy. I had no idea. So hold on, Super Mario Bros. <laughs> Two in the U.S. was a, a different game in completely Japan. Completely different. Game. Just reskinned. Yeah. Flat out copy of a different game. Yeah, they skinned it right? as Super Mario and packaged out here Super Mario Bros. Two. Later, they released the Japanese Japanese the Japanese uh, yeah. Super Mario Brothers Two as Super Mario Brothers: The Lost Levels. That's so right. What? That That's right. That's the original yeah. Mario. Dude, oh frequent gamer's God. mind is blown right now. Look at this, yeah. dude. Yeah. So, I, so while you guys were playing that, I, I just did Google search like Super Mario Bros. Two Japan. It looks exactly like right. Super Mario Brothers, they just put a two at it, and then they just had more levels that looked exactly like the first game. And they put a bunch of stuff in the game that, as Howard says, is just unfair. It's just, it may, it's the. So it it's, basically is just like a harder version of Super Mario yeah, Brothers. Yeah. yeah. Well, and in Japan, they even said, they even put something on the box. I think they said, like, you know, for super players or something. Like, I think as a super, as a hard Super Mario Brothers version, I think it's good. It's, it's an expert edition, basically. Yeah. But for a sequel, you know, so yeah, even the music's the, the same. It's like they released really a special either. edition and called it the number two. <laughs> right. That was Amazing. the uh, the DLC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> totally. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's continue. Let's keep talking about sequels here, though. So after Super Mario Brothers 2, Nintendo would develop a string of successful Super Mario sequels that I'm sure most of our listeners have played. So, And if you haven't played many sequels, by the way, at a minimum, you need to get your hands on Super Mario Brothers 3 on the NES Yes. Super Mario World on the SNES mm-hmm. and Mario 64 on the yeah, N64. Mario 64, yes. So those are all masterpieces and they're tr- they were truly groundbreaking titles in their respective eras. I think mm-hmm. just those three titles especially, just unbelievable. Now the Super Mario franchise has gone on to be one of Nintendo's most profitable IPs, rivaled only by the media juggernaut that is Pokemon. Yeah. This is Pokemon Go weekend for me. Yeah, so I'm, I, 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 I don't get think it. That's even a yeah. That's not even a question. That it is. This is their Mickey Mouse. This is it. Well, yeah, Pokemon, so Pokemon is, makes them yeah. some money, man. I think Pokemon is actually makes them more money. Well, all right, it's, it's more. There's more up variety until media. for about twenty years, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This was it. This is the house that Mario built. That's yeah, right, basically. But, right. Yeah, Pokemon has been for going for a long time, but you're 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 absolutely right that it isn't until the last probably decade or so that Pokemon has really become yeah. that that huge juggernaut across so many different things card games my kids have the cards and we have sure. the games and we have we have pokemon coming out of the rafters now whereas mario we say. have but it's not coming out of the rafters it's Go not ahead. successful because of dustin uh, and his household hashtag pokemon <laughs> household that's right yeah. that's right so, <laughs> so pokemon to, to nintendo is like uh pixar to disney right it's like mm. the new the new thing <laughs> the new hotness but still <laughs> you know mario's hanging around yeah yeah yeah. Well, you don't have to look much further than like a store display of Nintendo Switch games to recognize oh, just for sure. how much Nintendo is committed to Mario. I mean, like, <laughs> right. I think I have like seven or eight Mario games in my Switch collection. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. Currently shipping Mario titles. There's probably half a dozen to a dozen somewhere like yeah, that. It's nuts. Wow. Well, like many of us, uh, Howard Phillips has watched Mario games evolve over the years, and we asked him for his thoughts on Mario today. So check it out. Ooh. So I would argue that Mario is as popular today as he was back in the 80s, but he's definitely evolved since then. Um, what do you, so what do you think about Mario and, and Mario games today? Well, um, so I cut my teeth on classic arcade games, and I really like the, um, um, the kind of clear goals and, clear, and, and very, very challenging elements to them um, and the 
somewhat, sometimes very linear, but other times some not completely linear, but still, you know, like Zelda, you got to put, you, you, you know where you have to go next. You just don't know exactly where it is <laughs> you have to go find this thing, but you don't know exactly where. Um, I really enjoy that style of play and kind of unbounded play to me is, is not as enjoyable. Um, sandbox play, you know, it's like go, go, throw your baton in the sandbox and like, oh, okay, now see if you can throw it higher. Um, it, it, at a certain point to me that loses its, its fun because I don't, feel the, I don't feel the design and the designer behind the challenge, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I really like the fact that with, with the classic games and the classic versions of, of uh, Mario, that that was very much the case, that if you've you felt like if you got past a hurdle that the designer had put up for you, that you'd have a little bit of clear air, but you knew he was coming at you again. Mm -hmm. And more, and, and, and the more modern versions are more unbounded, more kind of pick your, pick your adventure, pick your challenge. And that to me, um, I lose, I feel a little more distant from the, the designer who's challenging me to play my best in that type of an environment. Um, so I guess I'm, I don't know if I'm uh, old school purist <laughs> or whatever it is, but I really enjoy that, that more of that uh, style of game than, than the more future versions. That said, love Mario Kart, love a lot of the, you know, a lot, lot of the expressions. Um, I think it, it's done a wonderful, Nintendo and Miyamoto did a wonderful job of of continuing to keep Mario alive and the world to get kind of richer and fuller. Yeah, I don't think there's any argument that uh, Nintendo has done a good job of keeping more Mario front <laughs> right. and right. center. And uh, JP, before the podcast, you and I were talking a bit about um, some new Mario games coming out. You're going to pick up one of them, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at probably getting uh, Paper Mario because it just looks really cool. And of course, it's another Switch game because it's one of the things you and I talk a lot about. We like the Switch. We like the games. But sometimes it feels like Nintendo is constantly digging the bottom of the barrel for like, you know, Mario Golf, Mario Tennis, Mario Hang Gliding, <laughs> Mario Kites, you know. And I, I love Mario, don't get me wrong. But I feel like, you know, the, the thing you and I talk about a lot is just new IPs, new things for the Switch yeah, or for Nintendo totally. in general that are different because Sony and Microsoft are doing it. So why isn't Nintendo doing it? Yeah. You know, I guess if it keeps working they just keep going to it but but yeah I'm, they make I'm the that money way. i get it yeah but they do put them on everything there is i i took a picture of i was in a um game store like pre-covid and i took a picture of the the switch section and every game that fit in that photo was had mario on the cover it was so and, and the joke i was gonna make i forgot to post it but i was gonna make a joke i said like do you guys have anything with mario in it right right <laughs> it's a oh man well, as we mentioned earlier in this episode, we're celebrating 35 years of Super Mario Brothers, and many gamers believe that Nintendo will be releasing a special collection or Mario game to commemorate this Mario milestone. They did some special, you know, compilation in, on for the 25th, so who knows? And and well, we saw the Alex Kidd remake news shortly after we started playing Alex Kidd for the podcast, so maybe we're going to get lucky again. <laughs> Crossing fingers. Yeah. It's Hold all on. it's we're, all because we did this, right? Yeah, we're we're <laughs> hoping that Nintendo releases more Mario stuff. <laughs> <There's> oh, <yeah. laughs> I guarantee you they're gonna release more Mario stuff. Something. Yeah, let's actually make it a little more specific. Maybe something uh from the classic era. How's that? Oh, that'd be nice. So, there we go. Yeah. What I'd like to see is um the Game Boy super, uh, game Super Mario Land, the one that was that came out with the Game Boy. That one I don't think has ever been redone. That one would mm -hmm. be really cool to see. It's I want to see yeah, a first person, not shooter, but a first person uh, remake uh, in real engine of Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> so like a first person, <laughs> first person perspective. So you're going down the path, and you have to jump on yeah. these things, and you have to hit the brick, and then you see your fist hit the. All that stuff, and that's There's why that that's why I've, something about that is why I like Super uh, Paper Mario games is because you do kind of end up you flip back and forth between that the one on the Wii I think it was Super Mario, Super Paper I forget the name now but it, you flip back and forth between 2D and 3D and at one point you're you know you're walking through the level and they're coming at you and everything it's kind of cool really yeah. oh wow we'll see what happens because of us Nintendo will release something very special <laughs> just put it out there you know, put it out, yeah put it out there. 
Okay, that uh, wraps up the history segment. And now to help us learn more about the game, here are five ridiculously interesting facts. Ridiculously interesting facts. About Super Mario Brothers. And man, we had to dig for these because like what has <laughs> right. not been already said about right. Super Mario Brothers, uh, right? Apparently not everybody knows about Super Mario Brothers too. We could have hung on that one. Right. Wow, come <laughs> on. or, or the Minus World. So I guess, man. Well, right. That's yeah. like finding out that uh, they filmed half of Back to the Future with Derek Stoltz. Oh, that's what? right. That's right. It did? Spoiler yeah. alert. Is it, yeah. I didn't know that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I'll, we'll dig it up for you. I have a book that has a lot of shots of him in the book or in yeah. the, in the, in the uh, you know, life vest, you know, in the... Uh, they Martin shot McFly more thing. than half of the movie with him and uh, wow. they didn't like his take on Marty McFly, so they fired him. Fired him and brought wow. in... And yeah, then they went back in the time Michael and got somebody else and then here you go. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. See that? See, I didn't know that. There we go. I'm That's the, a that bonus. Zero interesting fact right there. Right. I'm the infrequent movie watcher, apparently. <laughs> you are. Number one, Nintendo once created a special version of Super Mario Brothers to be raffled off on a Japanese radio show. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So in 1986, Nintendo created All Night Nippon Super Mario Brothers. So All oh. Night Nippon being the name of the radio show. Uh, now, the game was an official hack of Super Mario Brothers, it featured mixed-up levels, including uh, some from the Japanese Super Mario Brothers 2 that Alex just learned about. Um, <laughs> and uh, they changed the enemy sprites to uh, Japanese celebrities. So it's just really kooky. And then it takes place mm. all at night, too. So it's all the, the, you know, the black backgrounds. It's mm. crazy. Um, now, if you want a copy of the game, it's going to cost you about 100 bucks. Um, and because it's a disc-based game, you're also going to need the Famicom disc system. So that'll set you back another 100 bucks at least. Um, and JP, when are you going to sell me your disc system? I've been waiting for years, and uh, you're being stingy. Never. <laughs> there you go. Well, we know you have more than one, so just uh, you know, help me out here. Number two, uh, speaking of the unique versions of Super Mario Brothers, did you know that there's actually a version for the PC? And uh, as Alex would say, this game is trash. Trash. <laughs> so, the, so this version was not developed by Nintendo. Uh, instead, it was created by Hudson Soft, a popular third-party developer. And now Hudson Soft knows a thing or two about great platformers. They develop games like Adventure Island and like the Bonk games that run the Graphics. But something went terribly wrong here. So just to give you an idea, the screen doesn't scroll when you what? play the game. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> one screen at a time. There's like tons of character flicker and the music just sounds like off. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like kind of too slow. It kind of like just sways. It's, it's something is terribly wrong there. Um, so if you want to check it out, just Google Super Mario Brothers Special on YouTube and uh, prepare to be horrified. Okay. Um, and uh, by the way, uh, JP, for you, because uh, I'm sure you don't have this in your collection, I saw a copy on eBay recently, which uh, runs on the Japanese PC called the NEC PC 8801. It was listed for $1,200. Oh my God. Wow. So I do have two of those computers though. In the, in the, um, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> He's probably not joking. Uh, number three, uh, while Shigeru Miyamoto was developing Super Mario Brothers, he was also working on the Legend of Zelda at the same time time and that may be some Never of, heard of it. Uh, what uh he uh howard phillips was talking about yeah. with uh, miyamoto being spread thin yeah no kidding right sorry i can only create two legendary <laughs> like you know game franchises at, at uh, once yeah. you know right um, and, and because the two games were being developed simultaneously uh miyamoto borrowed graphics from each game so for example like you know the rotating fire bars that you see on like the one four levels four levels yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, the ones you got in the face, Dustin. Mm -hmm. um, so those were actually developed for Zelda. They just brought them to the other game. Hmm. That's cool. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number four, there is a hidden Super Mario Brothers game in Animal Crossing on the GameCube. Well, now I'm really going to have to pick this game up. Yes, you definitely are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, in Animal Crossing, you can collect NES games. This is another thing that's awesome about that GameCube version. And you can actually play them. So there's like a built-in emulator inside Animal Crossing. Huh. Um, but there's four games, including Super Mario Brothers, um, there's also um, yeah, Mario Brothers, Legend of Zelda, and Ice Climber that are not obtainable by any means through regular gameplay. Uh, now, some gamers call these the Forbidden Four. Now, to get Super Mario Brothers, you would have had to have won a contest from the Japanese magazine Famitsu back in 2001. Or today, you can use like a cheating device like the Game Shark to unlock it. Uh, even more interesting is that some players have tapped into the built-in emulator within Animal Crossing and they found a way to load up like an entire library of NES games 
to play on your GameCube. Like how Ooh, cool is that? I like that. That's awesome. Yeah, super cool. Uh, and number five, uh, you guys all remember the train wreck that was Super Mario Brothers, uh, the movie from 1993, right? Train wreck. That was a classic of the of the yeah. cinema. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I posted about it on uh, Twitter. You guys probably seen it. It got like some crazy yeah. engagement, and yeah, a lot of people were like, "You guys are nuts." It was a great movie, and and so like, everyone <laughs> people like that movie was trash. Yeah. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> that movie was garbage. Yeah, it was I, hot so garbage. I will just say I remember seeing it in the theater in 1993. I thought it was terrible, but I haven't seen it since. So maybe, yeah, maybe I would watch it now and go. You know what? Oh, popcorn movie. You I need don't know. some stiff drinks before that. You pop that one on. <laughs> Sounds like a plan, actually. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> speaking about the movie, according to IMDb, it was doomed from the start. In his uh, 2007 autobiography, John Leguizamo, who played Luigi in the movie, he states that he and Bob Hoskins, who played Mario hated working on the film and would frequently get drunk to make it through the experience. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. IMDb goes on to say that, you know, both men apparently knew the movie would turn out bad. So they simply tried to make the best of it. <laughs> yeah. Go. Did you see those Koopas? Garbage. <laughs> Drunken head Koopas? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those are nuts. I also saw on IMDb that uh, Tom was Hanks so was uh, considered yeah. for the role of Luigi. Did you guys see this? Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but because Turner and Hooch and Joe versus the Volcano oh. were box office failures, it, get this, it led the studio to believe that Hanks was no longer a box office draw. He Does, wasn't good enough to play Luigi in on. the Super Mario Bros. movie. You know what? Uh, maybe it wasn't the, you working with the dog. Maybe the, the, script, the script was fine, right? Or maybe the script for Joe versus Volcano, that was perfect. That was an Oscar winner script, right? Had nothing to do with Tom Hanks. Come on. Yeah, Joe versus Volcano is a fantastic. It's one of those movies. We've talked about these kind of movies on the podcast yeah. before that are those movies that you saw that were on repeat over and over and over again on yeah. these channels. I must have seen Joe versus Volcano 50, 100 times. I saw it in the theater. I was disappointed. <laughs> I love I the brain it. cloud thing. And the and Abe Vigoda oh is the, the tribe chief. And Meg Ryan has three roles listen, in it. And that movie Ryan, sucked. Here we go it wasn't again. Because, <laughs> it wasn't because of, uh, of, of Tom Hanks. He, that guy is a, a national treasure. Yeah, have but, you seen yeah. the latest Tom Hanks news? He he's uh, actually lends his voice to the crowd noise of the at the A's games right now, uh, as a because he used to be a, a peanut vendor at or a hot dog vendor at the uh, A's games back in the, the late sixties, I believe. So nice. he, they got him to record like "Get your hot dogs here" and stuff like that for the A's. Well, listen, let me Hell tell yeah. you something. If uh, John Leguizamo and Bob Hoskins were wasted when they filmed Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Uh, if you watch that movie, you have to be just as wasted <laughs> oh. for it to make sense. I there think we found a system here. There we go. Wow. Well, maybe you just discovered something. Maybe there's some there it's like it a is. hidden movie. It's a movie within a movie, basically. We can almost start our own little movie podcast here. We got the Shoot the Moon. You know, we <laughs> got right. the the, right. the Sonic movie. We had the Crypt Keeper this. on. Then we got Crypt Keeper on. I mean, now we have to watch Mario Brothers Wasted. So, you know, things <laughs> we got to do for uh, science. Retro Game Guys After Dark. <laughs> watching yes. movies. I will do that on one condition that we actually watch it on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And sure that was five ridiculously interesting tra- <laughs> tracking. It's just your tracking. I got me. And that was five ridiculously interesting facts about Super Mario Brothers. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up part one of our Retro Game Guys Super Mario Brothers Super Celebration. We hope you're all enjoying this episode so far. Be sure to stay tuned for part two, which is available now. You'll hear about what Super Mario Brothers meant to the guys here, to our listeners, and of course to Howard Phillips. And we'll chat about replaying the game. We'll give away a copy of Super Mario Brothers. And we'll get to the dreaded, at least to me, dun, hashtag dun, dun. beat retro game guys score competition. For the retro game guys, Zach, Alex, and JP, I'm Dustin saying game on until part two, friends. The opinions and views expressed on the Retro Game Guys podcast represent the views of the speaker alone and are not the views of our employers.